the quantum mechanics. Yes, we are the quantum mechanics, the podcast for the believers, the doubters, and everybody in between coming to you from fairly roasting hot UK. It's been nice. Things are getting out and about. Summer has arrived. Has been boiling, right? I've been, uh, I, I've done that very British thing. I think about four hours ago, I just went, oh, it's too hot. It's like after praying for it to be hot for months, it's like one day where it gets said. And anyone in any country that's listening outside the UK will go, what they're moaning about. It's only been 20 degrees centigrade, but still, yeah. It, it's too hot because you walk down the street and you're like, well, I'm sweating. The dog's like, what the hell's going on? I thought I lived in Britain and everything in the garden is gradually going yellow. So, <laughs> yeah. yeah. It's perfect. Summer is here. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Happy summer, everybody. Uh, yeah, it, it's already, it's only six months to Christmas. <laughs> so, Ben, we've, we've been, we've talked about certain themes recently um specifically over the last few episodes about whether we can create our own reality uh really whether either singularly or en masse we can manifest paranormal events by thinking about them uh if you're not sure what we're talking about go and check out the last two or three podcasts it's a it's a it's a recurring theme and another theme on those podcasts is we've talked about the experiment that really we get our name from, right? The quantum mechanics, and that's the double slit or the dual slit experiment. Yes. Uh, which I we've we've mentioned a few times. Look it up if uh, if you want more details. But it's basically a quantum experiment uh, which involves obs- observer theory, and the experiment produces a different result if it's being observed by a human being or by a camera or whatever and nobody quite understands why so and I realized that I'm really obsessed with that and so are you Mm. but every now and again I doubt it and go did is it a hoax you know what I mean I go I go is it a hoax is it a thought experiment like you know schrodinger's cat rather than a real scientific experiment yes have we just really misunderstood what the whole thing is about and i have to go back and i've watched documentaries on it i've read up about it but still my brain can't quite comprehend that it's the truth and i keep thinking i've been spoofed somehow it's very complex hoax but somebody's been hoaxing us i don't know if you've ever had the same thing (laughs) i guess because it's so mind-blowing yes no, I was going to say, of course, I've, I feel exactly the same thing. And I think it's it's like it's probably what um, people might think about, you know, the actual like at the moment we, we're seeing all this um, UFO activity released by the Pentagon. I'm sure there's a load of people going, you know, it feels like we might be being gaslighted or something. And it sort of yeah. it feels like it feel, falls into that same kind of category. Yeah, absolutely. You're right. You're bang on the nail there. Um, And this whole thing got me thinking about how we create our own reality and how we propagate it through our beliefs. And I started to think about things we might believe that are true that are not true. So I want to talk about this theme 
today in the podcast I, I will try and tie it back to the paranormal later so bear with me a little bit hopefully this will make sense this is a journey it's a journey exactly okay <clears throat> and just to be clear up front i'm not going to talk about conspiracy theories i'm going to focus on things that people believe some of them even myself that i've believed that have been proved not to be true but the myth still makes us believe that they are true. So let's start with history. An example of, to, as an example of what I'm thinking about, I'm going to focus on England and America. Because as George Bernard Shaw once wrote, England and America are two countries divided by a common language. <laughs> well, yeah. I, I say he wrote it, but he's credited for saying that in lots of places, but no one can actually find any evidence that he did write it <laughs> or even said it. Oh, really? It is, yeah, yeah. So let's. I'm going to start with a bit of a historical question just to give you an example of what I'm going to be talking about today. So, Ben, you and I, if we were living in the Middle Ages at the age we are now, yes. do, do you think we would have exceeded our life expectancy? Um, I think I'd be coming up to it very, very shortly. Yeah. Well, I, like a lot of people, believed that the life expectancy around the Middle Ages was 30 years old. Oh, right. I, I thought it was 50, but right, okay. Okay, but still. Yes, yes, young, yes. Young, basically. Um, And though it's kind of technically true that's the average age in the middle ages was 30 if you count the infant mortality rate oh and okay. the infant mortality rate was incredibly high and that brings the figures down so if you survived childhood in the middle ages you were likely to live well into your 60s no way <laughs> yeah so Goodness. we would be we we'd we'd still have a way to go, Ben. But you see that meme of like um I think it's something like nature wants five of your seven kids dead and wants you dead by well I think I thought it was fifty, you could have could have been thirty, whatever it is. I right. had no no idea. I thought like everything from like lack of basic sanitation to yeah, yeah. not cleaning your teeth and all of that would just yeah. lead to horrendous diseases and you'd be out tilling the field, fall over, and then your wife would have to eat you and then she died. That's what I thought. And we discussed this on the podcast we did on Eccentric Englishmen. Yes. Because there was a couple of people in there that lived to a ripe old age. Uh, I think there was one guy who carried rocks on his back who lived until he was about 90 and we were going god that must have been so amazing you know because mm. nobody lived above 30 did they yeah yeah no not true here's another myth from the middle ages that still pervades today and one i've often used that isn't true so people use spices to mask the flavor of rotting meat Ooh. In truth, spices were incredibly expensive, so they were only used to embellish high-quality food. Ah, okay. 
I hadn't put Which those two together. Which makes complete logical sense. It right? does. It does. It does. Because we spoke about before how um, a single nutmeg was the same, it, it, the same value as a house. Correct. Yeah. The sort of the 1500s, 1600s. Yes, I'd never put two and two together. I guess I'd always assumed it was used to cover up poor meat in other countries but yeah that makes sense that meat is expensive but spices so, well, are and spices are expensive way more so expensive <laughs> yeah um let's look at an example with its roots in the paranormal and the fact that no witches were burned at the stake in the salem witch trials really not a one not one 20 alleged witches were executed 19 by hanging and one was crushed to death in fact, even during the witch hunts in Britain, very few accused were burned at the stake. Hanging was the preferred method of punishment. Okay. So there's something in the common culture, like there must be an illustration or something that... Yeah, or a trope from a book or a, a trope, movie yeah. that's taken hold and has changed our perception of what actually happened. Yes, because there's the, there's the Monty Python sketch, burn the witch, burn the witch. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Songs, Radiohead have got a song called Burn the Witch. You know right. what I mean? It's, like, it's in there. It's in our culture that that's what happened, but it didn't happen. Or it, it rarely happened. It did happen, but it rarely happened. Okay. Let, here's a good one. Let's talk about America. Putting aside the debate about whether you can discover something that's already there, historians generally agree that the Americas were discovered by a Norseman named Leif Erikson 500 years before Christopher Columbus. That's because he had his mobile phone, right? Yeah, exactly, exactly. <laughs> and he had a 500. Yes. Um, <laughs> but this is a great example of what I'm talking about because if you Google who discovered America, which I did before we started recording, in big bowls letters, it says Explorer Christopher Columbus. Christopher Columbus, yeah. yeah. Siri gives you the same answer. That's what we were taught now, at school. Yeah. But it's, it's agreed, widely agreed by historians, that it was 500 years earlier by a Norseman called Leif Erikson. This next one really upset me. So brace yourself, Ben. Okay. Gunslingers didn't really exist gunslingers what cowboys so the western movie trope of two men standing in the street waiting to draw their guns is just that it's a trope it is what? believed that the american version of dueling which is where the thing comes from yes. dueling that was happened in europe yes only happened two times in the old west and in fact the term gunslinger was invented for a Western movie in the 1920s. Oh, my God. So if we went back to the Wild West, we wouldn't find these people riding into noon. town. Right, high noon, yeah, yeah. Standing opposite each other, which one's going to draw first? Just didn't happen. Or it happened twice that people are aware of in the history of, you know, the old West in America. So the bigger implication for this is that Back to the Future 3 
is completely <laughs> historically inaccurate. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There's there's a flaw in Back to the Future Three. Jesus Christ. Let's move on to culture. And, you know, I'm going to come on science in a minute, but, you know, there's this belief, and I'm sure you share it, Ben, that facts are facts, right? Facts are facts. Yeah. Arthur Conan Doyle's Sherlock Holmes would say, it's elementary, my dear Watson. Mm Mm-hmm. Apart from he wouldn't actually say that. This quote doesn't appear in any of Conan Doyle's books. Oh. (laughs) So he wouldn't say it. It has been used as a line in movies, but Arthur Conan Doyle never had Sherlock Holmes saying that line. Did he ever make that childish joke about Pancake Day and lemons and lemon (laughs) entries? No? (laughs) No. No? Oh, okay. None none of that. Right, okay. Oh. Let's Let's move on to another one that we've talked about on the podcast before. Orson Welles is... Legendary 1938 radio broadcast of the War of the Worlds. And we all know, right, it caused mass panic when it went out on the radio because people thought we were being invaded by Martians. That's what we were told. People didn't go to work the next day. There was, there was mass panic, yeah. Well, apparently not. There was no widespread panic. There were a couple of isolated reports of confused listeners phoning into the radio station. So where does that come from? Is that like his PR people going, he's such a great Ma- storyteller? I'm not sure, but that's, that, that seems to me could be the case. That's so interesting. Because it always did feel like, surely... like People if they not stopped, that stupid, right? Yeah, and <laughs> they go at the top of the hour, they go, well, that's enough of that. Let's have the news and the weather. Like, yeah. Yeah. <sighs> that's... That is that is super interesting because because in modern times and forgive me if I'm stealing your thunder but the closest thing in our living memory and people in the UK may remember this if you're old enough is the BBC Ghostwatch show yeah which was um put out as um it it was on Halloween and it was supposed to be a live ghostwatch way before your most haunted and your ghost adventures and everything like that. And, you know, we've got four TV channels in the UK and some, you know, some fairly mediocre satellite ones, but you got the four channels and the BBC and people were tuning in. And then the next day, the Red Tops took it on and went, people were freaking out. People were panicking. And it like that changed the laws in the UK. You now have to, if you, portray anything as no this is real like this was you have to up front say actually it's a drama yeah but then you can go on and go no this is real this is real but you have to say no this is a drama this is for entertainment purposes only and that all comes from that show so that feels like it's the same kind of like principle that works the principle yes yeah. perceived yeah. mass hysteria which never actually happened yeah 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 well, we're going to talk about someone else that we've talked about on the podcast before. So if you ask the average person in the street who created Mickey Mouse, what would they say? Uh, Walt Disney. Yeah, well, as you probably guessed, it wasn't Walt Disney. What? It was actually created by a guy with a great name called Oob Iwerks. 
Uh, and it was based on a Disney character which he also created called Oswald the Lucky Rabbit. It withdrew Mickey and it seems that Walt kind of took the credit or never corrected anyone that he didn't actually originally create it himself. Wait, so he was under Walt Disney's employee? He worked for Disney, yeah, yeah. So the first cartoon that I think I know that he was in was the Steamboat Willie. Yeah, which I do believe Walt Disney drew. Ah, but so the character in... wasn't developed by Walt Disney. Initially. Right, right. So Walt took this the, this character that's been developed and then put it into that film. I see, I see. Yeah. Oh, that's a bit... I feel bad for his family because, like, Walt yeah. Disney, go to Walt Disney World. We don't go to... I can't say his name, but you don't go to your man's world, do yeah. you? Well, do, you, do you know what? It's, it, and I'll come on to this theme in a minute, and it kind of ties back a bit to the uh, Jules Slit experiment. Because when I was researched that, I was like, that can't, that's a made-up name. You know, first name, Ub, U-B, second name, I-W-E-R-K-S. It's got to be a spoof, but I found multiple sources for it on the internet. So there you go. That well, is nuts. Yeah. Well, we've done we've done history, and we know that history is partly written by the winners, right? And we've done culture and arts, but as you've alluded to, you know, there are plenty of tall tales and bravado, right? So mm. you can see why these things come in play. Science, on the other hand, would not propagate untruths. That would be insane. And as Albert Einstein once said, the definition of insanity is doing the same thing over and over and expecting different results. Mm-hmm. Apart from the fact he never said it. Oh, my God. <laughs> he never said anything close to it. And if you wanted to reference that quote in an essay or a dissertation and you wanted to go to its credited source, it's actually uh, from someone called Rita Mae Brown... And it was in a book called Sudden Death. This bit's going to blow your mind. Which was uh, published in 1983. Oh, my God. It is believed that versions of the quote could go back to earlier times. But that's what you would reference it if you were going to do it in a dissertation. Uh, Rita Mae Brow, Sudden Death, 1983, and definitely wasn't said by Albert Einstein. I suppose it's like 1983, that is still like, what, 30 years at least behind the meme culture. Yeah. And so somebody found it because there were so many memes of like Einstein there in front of a whiteboard yeah, with yeah. that quote on, and I guess it's just the laziness of human nature that people sort of repackage that and pass it on. Yeah. Well, let's look at something that's you know one of the major factors of our life and the planet. I've got a couple of myths about water. Water does not rotate in a different direction depending on which hemisphere you are in. Uh, yes, I did know that. I did know that. And I knew that from um, a neighbour's forum from about <laughs> oh, brilliant. 2000. 
Because someone had said, does it go round the other way where you are? Right. Yes, exactly. Yes. Brilliant. I believe the explanation is it depends on the shape of the plug hole and if the water was being pushed in a particular direction before it started its descent. Right. But but nothing to do which part of the planet you're in. Right, right. Okay. Well, we can we can thank the Australian soap opera neighbours for me knowing that. That's from a BBC forum in about 2000, I think. You are showing your your anal retentiveness in full effect there. (laughs) These shorts are perfectly decent. (laughs) Water conducts electricity, right? Uh, Yeah, that's why you shouldn't take a toaster into the bath. Wrong. In fact, pure water is actually an insulator. Is it? It is actually the minerals and other chemicals in water that conduct electricity. The problem is that it's almost impossible to find pure water. So anybody listening, don't believe that you can put a toaster in your bath because you can't. But it's not the pure water itself that conducts electricity. In fact, the opposite is an insulator. It's the other stuff that's in the water that conducts the electricity. Right, so that means then... You know how uh, I've got a friend who's got one. Those um, water purification things yep. that you get for your home, where it evaporates. Yeah, and, and but I, th- I think even if you use those, it, there will still be enough traces of other stuff to really electricity. Oh, yeah. okay. I can't. I think, I think f- it's no. You probably have to go to some lab somewhere and create. 100% pure water. All my life, I've just wanted to cook breakfast in the bath, and I thought you had the solution. <laughs> Damn no, it. I'm afraid not. Well, talking of pennies dropping, if you dropped a penny from the Empire State Building, would it kill somebody or could it kill somebody on the sidewalk? I feel like I know this one, and the answer is no, because it would reach a terminal velocity which wouldn't be hard enough to kill somebody correct i mean it would seriously hurt someone and i guess in a freak incident it might kill someone but it's got nothing to do with the fact that you've dropped it from such a high height right right yeah because i i think i read i think cats reach terminal velocity at about 30 stories high yeah and at that height when they when they reach the ground they're fine so in theory in theory you could drop a cat from the top of the empire state building or the eiffel tower or whatever and it would still be fine because it would only ever reach its terminal velocity yeah i i don't know the answer to that question and i wouldn't like to i'm not going to try it because you know it's cats but yeah yeah but it's a it's a similar sort of thing but i I'll tell you what, if you dropped a DVD of Cats the Musical off the Eiffel Tower, it would hopefully reach terminal velocity and die when it hit the ground. But yes. That's about as close, yeah. Well, I, I, you see, I have to come clean that I had a, um, uh, a physics teaching family. A number of my family were into, you know, physics and teaching physics. Can you be into that? Yeah, that's what they were doing. And I remember... One of them explaining to me um, after watching um, uh, the cartoon uh, Roadrunner where quite often the poor coyote has a ton weight dropped on him. 
Yeah. That, um, and it's this is similar to that uh, sort of a modern riddle. If you put a number of feathers into a compacted thing, doesn't they don't even have to weigh a ton, but into a compacted um, sort of device like an anvil and dropped it, that would also kill you just as much as right, the anvil would because of its anvil, terminal right. velocity. And then at about That's the age amazing. of eight... When you think of it. Well, yeah, but while watching Roadrunner, they drew the equation out for me on the blackboard and I went, <laughs> I'm really sorry I asked now. Um, and also... You never me, asked me. another science question. No, that. no, no. I just, <laughs> I just enjoyed <laughs> the fact that... Um, uh, coyote couldn't run through the tunnel that he'd drawn on the side of the canyon. Brilliant. Uh, well, talking of animals, we are the generation, certainly in the UK, who've been brought up watching Sir David Attenborough. So we know nature, right? Yep. Here are some quick fire misconceptions. Well, let's see if you'll go for this one. How long does a housefly live for? Oh, goodness, I've no idea. Um... Well, interestingly, we had a housefly. I was in the house and I was putting my son to bed and it was flying around his bedroom. And then we had a little chat about it and I said, it's amazing to think that that fly's whole life is going to be kind of began and over in just about a day, isn't it? What must that be like? And I think a lot of people think that. Actually, a housefly lives for about a month. Oh. <laughs> now, you see, I would have actually put it longer than that because... Ah, oh, that's interesting. Because when winter comes, when summer comes around and we start seeing flies around the house, my partner and I, we often say, oh, they must have been hibernating. Ah, oh, that's interesting. I don't know if they do hibernate. That's a good question. Yeah. But we'll come on to some of this a bit later. It's interesting... Mining yours completely different perceptions of that conundrum. I thought a housefly only lived for a day. You thought it lived for months. It lives for a month. Right. Interesting. Chameleons change their colour to match their surroundings, right? I've seen them. Not true. Oh. Their resting state is good colour for camouflaging them, but they actually only change colour to communicate, such as attracting a mate. It's really hard if you're in the queue for Starbucks and it's like <laughs> turning itself into a cappuccino. You're like, yeah. is that a latte or a cappuccino? Yeah. Don't know what it is. But wait, I've, I'm sure I've seen, like, you put them onto your hat. No, maybe I haven't. Maybe I've made it all up. Well, I, I'm pretty sure that octopuses do. Oh, yeah, right. Yeah, okay, octopuses. Yeah, that makes sense. But I don't think... As for, uh, yeah, again, multiple sources I've got that from. Chameleons don't change their surroundings. Right, so Colors now we're saying that Boy George, when he called somebody a karma chameleon, didn't really mean anything. No, unless he was trying to attract a mate. <laughs> 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 but as you know, with his lovers, they come and go. They come and go. They do, they do. <laughs> Anybody kind of younger than us probably won't have a clue what we're talking about. <laughs> um, here is another animal fact that you should forget, Ben. Goldfish do not have a three-second memory. Right, okay. 
In fact, a study was conducted that showed goldfish are actually pretty clever. They can tell the difference between two different pieces of classical music. What? They did an experiment where they played the goldfish, two classical pieces, only feeding them when one of them was playing. The fish then recognised the right track 75% of the time, which means they would have to have a memory far, far greater than three seconds. God, that's a very clever experiment, actually. Um, I suppose that makes sense. We've got a very old goldfish. We've had him for nearly 18 years. And I don't know about his memory, but I do know when one of us goes in the room, he does start badgering at the side of the tank for food but i just thought that was like his natural thing like oh there's some movement i didn't really associate it because obviously the dog he goes and sits by you know where his food bowl is and it's like obvious like feed me and the goldfish he always seems happy to be given food but i didn't realize that's what he was asking for but that is interesting um and i feel bad that like when we go out i put music on for the dog but i haven't ever put music on for the fish maybe i should put music on for the fish. (laughs) they like classical (laughs) <laughs> i guess i mean okay i'll get classic fm out yeah get classic i'm trying to think of a fish based classical music pun yeah i was trying to think of a pun i couldn't think of one <laughs> yeah my brain well talking about brains if you've been fooled by any of these false facts don't worry as one famous fact states humans only use 10 percent of their brain well they might say it ben but it isn't true. That, I don't know the ins and outs of it, but that always seemed wrong when people do like those brain yep. scans and you see like the, um, the electro, the, the, the pulses of um, the neurons firing. It yep. doesn't seem right. But is it, is it like, like almost an allegory? Is it like, is that a way of saying you don't, you're not using your full potential. Is that where this... Well, it's interesting. Where it comes from uh, is the fact that 90% of brain cells are white matter and only 10% are grey matter, and it's the grey matter that is used for thought. I don't know this exactly, but I believe the white matter, which makes up 90%, is almost like the casing and the protection. It it can't be used for thought. Uh, But I think it's interesting what you just said, that almost that fact has been, I would imagine, has been misappropriated but also, you know, it's it's a good analogy to say, buck up your ideas and think a bit more, isn't it? It is. It is. Yeah, yeah. And it's also used in um, in some circles. I think almost like not not new age, but you know what I mean. Where people go, oh well, you know, if you just raised your vibrations, you could <laughs> yeah. open the rest of your brain and yeah. open your third eye, and like you like what does that was that actually mean and then you go well you only use 10 percent of your brain it's um, also become a trope in movies hasn't it and science yeah, it has, fiction. yeah yeah you know what i mean oh they've found some new thing which opens up that 90 percent that's been hidden from us as a human species you know what yeah I mean? well that <laughs> it, it sort of is also quite weird because what i've always 
thought. I'd never really given it any serious thought until you said that, but it would be a strange evolutionary thing to, for example, to go to monkeys who you would presume would use all of the evolutionary ability that's been given to them to survive and walk around and stuff. And then the next iteration being us go, ah, just make it so they use yeah. 10% because yeah. a brain is so hungry. Like you yeah, have to yeah. use so many resources to feed it. Like for it to go, we can afford to turn off 90% of this is mad. Yeah. 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 Well, it makes them feel like a species that go, oh, we could think about, it. you know what? I can't be asked. That's yeah, that's of, true. That's what it kind of says, doesn't it? It does. Like, it does. But it's not true. It's I not mean, true. I have met people like that. I'm sure there are people that only use 10% of their brain, but it's not all of us. Uh, well, yeah, it, yeah, that is true. But I was driving behind somebody in a Ford Fiesta yesterday, and if he was using more than 5% of his brain, I'd be amazed. There you go. So, so far, we focused on things we mistakenly believe are true. But it led me on to think about where things have been created to create a false narrative deliberately to advance someone's own ends and i guess the most impactful examples of these are what they call false flag events uh, i've got again i'll run through these pretty quickly but we have some examples of where this has been used to lead countries into war basically so one example is the mukden incident uh between japan and china so after their war with Russia in 1905, Japan had ambitions to invade Chinese Manchuria. Japan wanted the Chinese to attack their forces on the border so they'd have an excuse to invade, mm. a looking good to the outside world and to their own population. However, the Chinese forces just weren't obliging. So in September of 1931, the Japanese deliberately planted explosives and blew up a small section of their own railway on the border. They then blamed the attack on the Chinese, which gave them an excuse to retaliate. Within five months, Japan had invaded and captured Manchuria. Gosh. So they created... And it's amazing, there's some pictures of the, you know, kind of, I guess, Japanese politicians, you know, looking very concerned over this bit of track... But in fact, all that was blown up was a bit of track that was one and a half metres long. <laughs> and it Blimey. didn't affect the trains. The trains, it was only on one side, so the trains could quite easily <laughs> navigate it. So it didn't stop the railway, but it was used as an excuse then. This, they created this false event and a false narrative. Uh, unsurprisingly, uh, in Nazi Germany, this was used. So the Gleiswitz incident. In 1939, German SS commandos dressed as Polish men stormed and captured a German radio station and they broadcast a short anti-German message in Polish. The German SS then killed some local farmers who they used as patsies for the event. Uh, it was all part of the propaganda that led to the invasion of Poland by the Nazis and the start of the Second World War. So it was a completely faked incident, which the Nazis had form on to get into power as well. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's a it's a peculiar thing. You said something terrible about me on the radio, 
I'm going to invade you. Yeah. I mean, yeah. 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 I, but you know, like, if you look at what's happening on Twitter now, Jesus H Christ, that's like, wow, we should learn the lessons of the past, thing. Eh? Well, I'm going to come on to that, actually. Okay, okay. But let's end with, in this bit, probably the most famous false flag event uh, is known as the Gulf of Tonkin incident. So on the 2nd of August 1964, the American ship, the USS Maddox, was involved in a small skirmish with North, Viet- with North Vietnamese military. Two days later, it was reported that the skirmish had escalated into the Vietnamese attacking the Maddox with torpedo boats. However, this second attack was a fabrication that was used as a justification for Congress passing the Gulf of Tonkin Resolution, which allowed President Johnson to effectively have the power to take the US deep into the war in Vietnam. So it was a com- there was a bit of a skirmish, but the attack was totally used and fabricated and used to fool Congress into passing a law that allowed the US to go to war in Vietnam. Oh, really? There's, okay, so it was, it was a, a device to convince Congress as well. Yeah, yeah. Right. So wow. it's interesting, you mentioned it. This got me thinking about the internet. So for us, back in our informative years, the way we found and checked facts was TV, radio, books, newspapers, going to the library, or just word of mouth, right? In Carter. Yeah, exactly, yeah. Encyclopedia Britannica was the other one. Big, I remember it. We had big books on the shelf. and you wanted, Yeah. If you wanted to know how long a fly lived, obviously I didn't search that page, you'd have to go and you'd have to... <laughs> you were too busy this. using the encyclopedia to kill <laughs> yeah, the flies, yeah. yeah. I was too busy trying to work out the dynamics of how the roadrunner did his going through a tunnel. <laughs> um, so then came the internet, right? And on one hand, here is this fantastic resource that you can search and check facts and find information instantly. In fact... We wouldn't be doing this, right, if it wasn't for the internet. Not only do we broadcast this online uh, via the internet, we're actually recording it. We're in our own houses. We're recording it via the internet. You send me the files. We do pretty much all of the research on the internet as well. Yeah, yeah. But I guess the flip side is fake facts are easily produced and spread, right? Mm Mm-hmm. So I came across a scary report from a recent study by the University of Oxford's Reuters Institute. And here's a quote. Though only 20% of fake news stories were produced or shared by famous public figures, these posts made up nearly nearly 70% of the total engagement on social media. Good Lord. Paradoxically, in another study... Over 52% of people believe that the information they find on the internet is reliable and accurate. Oh, God. And another study suggests less than 60% of web traffic is actually created by humans. The rest is created by bots. You see, that is... It comes down to... um, like i think how you are trained in education because like probably both of us like it was ingrained through school if you make a reference to something you need three 
references yeah. that agree T- on it. TV productions, like I, that's what I always remember from TV yes. production. Get three sources, and I still try and do that today when I'm doing the podcast. So when, but, well, I was going to say when we're researching this. I quite often I'll find the story and then I'll buy a book which isn't self-published, but it's by, you know, it's through a publishing house which you can trust more and yeah. then see if I can circle back and find any newspaper reports from credible sources. And credible sources are easy to find if you find yeah. like state broadcasters, regulated bodies, all of that. And And if you ever come across something which is kind of like, not sure about that then we can have a giggle about it but we do try to maintain a certain standard on this probably because both of our backgrounds not just broadcasting but education wise but if you see something on facebook you just you can't believe that you can take it as something that's good for a laugh or it could be a start of an investigation but good well what you what you find when you're researching as well and this is the downside of the internet as a research tool is that often one fake story then gets picked up by other sources, even reputable sources. Mm. You know, and I've seen it while researching things. You go, well, okay, that's another one that confirms the story I'm researching. And then you go, hold on, they've used exactly the same words. Mm. <laughs> you know, mm. That is a cut and paste job, you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. And, and that, I think, comes down to the prevalence of um news sources like because you get regulated and unregulated so if you were if you're putting something in a published newspaper you are subject to some more scrutiny than if you're putting something online and certainly in the uk in broadcast media you know ofcom and people if somebody complains they regulate what you're saying and there's strict rules but less so in the internet so if we put that together I, I this this flow just kind of does my head in. A huge proportion of the information on the internet is false. I would imagine that probably most of it out there is false. A large amount of it is not even generated by human beings. Mm. Yet most of us believe it is accurate and true. Mm. Yeah. So this is all well and good, Ben, but... How does this tie into the paranormal, you might be wondering? Well, it may be a bit of a quantum leap, but it got me thinking about parallel universes, the Mandela effect, simulated realities, and the discussion we've had over the last few episodes about quantum mechanics and observer theory and how we might in some ways be able to create our own paranormal activity. Yeah. I mean... If if you take the stories we featured today, I'm sure even the most enlightened and informed of us would have believed one or two of these untruths to be true. Oh, yes. I mean, for me doing the research, I think I believed a lot of them to be facts that weren't. Oh, so, uh, 100%, 100%. Like, I would also say, like, everything you said there, I was just reminded by my partner, we had a short break while I was doing some emergency dental work on my dog don't worry he's fine (laughs) Uh, but we were talking about the topic and she reminded me that i had told her that microwaves cook from the inside out i believe that to be true it's not not true true. no as she pointed out it is not true what that's how i always thought baked alaska could be done in the microwave done in a microwave so it does go it does go in the microwaves do go through the thing 
but it's probably spread evenly inside and outside, right? Well, it just like everything else, they they cook from the outside in. That's of course, ah. of course, why you have to mix. It's got to penetrate, right? Yeah, has to penetrate. Has yeah. does everything. And she was just showing me <laughs> an article about it, and it's a complete myth. That's why microwave <sighs> crowd dispersal weapons work because they don't right. kill people. They right. make you feel hot on the skin. Otherwise, they'd give you a heart attack, which is yeah, what they decide to do. They'd boil you from the inside out. Absolutely. But for about 30 years, I've always thought the best way to cook baked Alaska in the microwave. Inside, cooked inside nonsense. out, which I believed as well. Yeah, yeah. So wow. all of us can be taken in and believe these things. Right. So if these untruths can shape our thinking, right, in such a strong way, like that example, that both of us have believed for nigh on 30 years, or since the invention of microwave ovens, mm-hmm. is it the biggest stretch to think in a parallel parallel universe, just like Schrodinger's cat, by believing them, we have made them so. So yeah. in a universe, I've... I've created a fly that only lives for a day or flies live for a day in the universe that I've created. In the one you created, they hibernate and live for months. Yes. Because that is kind of Schrodinger's cat, isn't it? it, Yeah. Well, it's also, it's what we talk about with tulpas. If you, um, if you, if you believe in something enough or you think about something enough, you can make it true. A little bit like people who would um, sort of say that the Mandela effect is all in our heads. Like, I do know for a fact there are flies that only live for a day, mayflies. They, in yeah. fact, they, yeah, they, yeah, don't, yeah. they don't have any mouth parts. And you, you see them flying over the river because they're in, they're, most of their life is as larvae under the ground. So um, it's almost a corrupt memory. That right, associated to the wrong being, effectively. Yes, and I think possibly some of the terms that we say, so fly means lots of different things. So I don't know, and I haven't been Googling um, whilst I was <laughs> extracting things from my dog's mouth, but um, it's possible that maybe like there is a house fly that only lives for a day, but maybe there is a bigger fly, like maybe a blue bottle yeah, does lives for months. does yeah does live for months or hibernate or maybe i've just put two and two together because i do find in the spring i find sleepy wasps and sleepy bees and i know that um those sorts of bees that i'm bringing out um that i'm finding in my kitchen they have been living in nooks and crannies i live in a really old house and they live in the nooks and crannies in that and like we give them a little bit of sugared water and off they go and they are definitely last year's bees just coming back to life so that there is there is that thing of perhaps we're just putting lots of different facts overlaying them all but i don't think that detracts from your core argument is if we believe a particular fact to be true, does it in the end become true? And that is almost, um, well, the Mandela effect is built on multiple universes, but the Tulpa thing isn't. Like, I think we could probably talk about this in a future episode, but what you brought to mind 
is the Philip experiments, which are very, very controversial. Yeah. You mentioned those before, right? Yeah, I'm going to have to do a proper one on that. But I think, but I think we should because it does sound fascinating. It's, it's basically the ins and outs of it were um, a group of people decided to invent a person that had died and then try and contact them by Ouija board and they did and there is there's elements of the um the tulpa there's elements of um the Mandela effect and there's elements of what you're talking about there manifesting your own reality and it's very very hard to know where it all comes about but I think what you said about like you change a piece of code like it does seem very mechanical like it's almost like it, like I'm going back to like when I was studying computer coding at university, and this is many, many years ago, but you would have subroutines that would detect errors and that error detection. So if you had a couple of nested loops and they kept returning errors, you would have another part of the code which would go and correct those errors. And so if we are a couple of nested loops and we keep returning yeah. no's and the program thinks it should be a yes it'll correct that code to return a yes and that is essentially a good allegory for a uh a a simulated universe that's reminding me of uh way back in uh, another job i did i remember i commissioned a, a reskin a redesign of a game that already existed a computer game and I wanted something really simple changed and it was taking forever. And in the end they had to say, yeah, the code's so old and it's so messed up. We we can't go back and make this simple design change that you want to do because every time we try and change it, something else happens and it crashes the whole thing. And, and these stories made me think of that even you know the christopher columbus one is a really good example yes even now you know it's our siri see what it says it doesn't say left erickson <laughs> you know it's hard to correct misinformation once it takes hold and that's a bit like corrupted computer code it's hard to identify it even though that example that I'm using about the design, everybody knew what I wanted. It's just like, yeah, the code's so screwed up, it's going to be impossible for us to do it. Well, I I would say, like, if we just talk for a second about the upcoming Pentagon release of UFO files, which may have happened by the time this podcast comes out, but... um, this feels very similar to that because I grew up when in the in the eighties UFOs and aliens were something that you read about in magazines. They were in lots of popular sci-fi. Yeah, they were kind of everywhere, but it was always like obviously it's not real, and you would never have had the Pentagon admitting to filming. Um, a UAP or whatever we call them these days. Then we fast forward into the 90s and we've got the X-Files and the I Want to Believe and we have the crop circle phenomena and we get more and more. We have the series Roswell. It becomes more and more part of the general accepted popular culture. And then that slip from this is all made up to is it all made up? As I've noticed, that has been happening 
sort of over the last 10 or 11 years and then suddenly boom it isn't made up and you i was when i was watching like this has been on so many of the big news shows over the last week yeah you just look and go well are we manifesting this have we just got so into like going well ufos are probably true that the collective consciousness is they are true. true so they are true well, what, what's quite interesting about that, because I always use my barometer for that as, you know, a lot of the late night talk show hosts on uh, American TV, which I kind of avidly watch on YouTube normally yeah. the day after, yeah, at least clips of them. You know, and I think I've been watching them for years and it's interesting how UFO stories from that slightly comedic angle are also changing. You know, they were, they were always, you know, little green men and kind of, Let's have a good giggle. But you you almost see those late some of the late night talk show hosts struggling to make it humorous anymore. It's almost become slightly more factual in the way they deliver it. Yes. You know, it's always like, oh, they're gonna say that the aliens are here, you know, all oh, the world's coming to an end and here's a big asteroid, rather than a joke about little green men. Well so it, it is changing even and I think humor's a good barometer of that it is changing the consciousness whether it's true or not it is and i think what's interesting is like the the very first i made a tv show about um whether we were ready for alien invasion um in about about 16 years ago now and i interviewed a load of leading people at the time including like your timothy goods and your david clark's and they all sort of said i went nick pope as well and they were all fabulous and they said well like we haven't got any um particular way of dealing with this like the most you could probably imagine is that we would deal with for example a down nuclear satellite something like that but there was no popular sort of thought about how it would affect society apart from there was an overwhelming feeling like well of course you know, the Catholic Church should be really upset and perhaps it would just bring down society. Now I see people talking about it and I see people talk about it on different platforms. And um, I was looking at a thread on Twitter the other day going, look, imagine this is true. Imagine the Pentagon come out and say, yeah, these things, out, out of all the explanations, we think they come from outer space. What do you think would happen? And the majority of people agreed with somebody who said, I think we'll make some jokes about it on Twitter. It will trend for a couple of days. The news programs will be obsessed with it. Then we'll get on with our lives. There'll be a few people who are like, wait, what does an alien civilization look like? What do they want? But the majority of people will not care. It will not bring society down. And I think that is a huge swing shift. And that swing shift isn't necessarily because it's become more real because it is more real it could be because the collective consciousness has willed it so and yet if we look at what we were just talking about in computer code the computer code would correct for that and go don't freak out guys when the aliens are here it's all right just have a few laughs about it carry on because in the end it was your code that made them yeah 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 that's really interesting I keep thinking of Jack Nicholson in Few Good Men saying you can't handle the truth. It's almost like he's got to the point of going, 
Yeah. Maybe they can. <laughs> yeah. Well, but, at, but at maybe they're point, creating it. You know, that's amazing. But at this point, it's almost like you can't not handle the truth, if you see what I mean, because... I keep th- I keep thinking back. Sorry to interrupt you, but no, no. I keep I keep thinking back to the Jots episode we did. It's Vardiger and the Banshees, but we did Jots as well. And I keep thinking back about that story about the woman with the pearl uh, alarm travel alarm clock and yes. her coming home, and it wasn't her alarm clock that was in her bag. And she was like, oh, God, I must have packed the wrong one. Why would there be one in the hotel room? There's a whole thing like that. And then she went downstairs and there was her one on the floor yeah. in her hallway, which she hadn't put there. So then she had two alarm clocks that were different but similar. And that story, well, we laughed a lot about it at the time, but that story's really stuck with me about, you know, parallel universes and glitches in the Matrix and manifesting something that you know you've imagined or needed but i think at the time we made the analogy of you know some kid playing a computer version of the sims that we're all in going oh god you know she's lost the other one i'm gonna have to create another one for her she's lost her clock and i'm gonna have to create another one and then she finds the other one and she's got two and it's like oh god but i've made the other one now yes and, I, and I, we I, gone no i was gonna say and we also made like it seemed like a glib joke at the time, but the more we've delved into this, the more it seems realistic. Yeah. The one well, that the other, she... the other bit, the other bit I was going to make just before you get onto that point was, I thought about it from the idea of if we were in a simulated reality or a game, and you'd kind of think, well, they'd never do that because then the sim us would know that something was going on. But actually, if you were that kind of teenage kid in the bedroom running our simulated world, you wouldn't care <laughs> if we were confused why we had two clocks, would you? No, no, you because it's You wouldn't give it a second thought. And, and, and the reason that in The Sims they would have a rubbish clock compared to the good clock is because he went and asked his mum for some credits. Yeah. And she said, you can have £3, not £8. Yeah, and, yeah, yeah. and that's why he got that. And But all of this, like, I know everybody that starts delving as deeply into the paranormal as we have over the last year, this is, this is episode 66, by the way, you start off going, I think you go, you start off going, oh, this will be fun, it's something I'm interested in. And then you start thinking, do you know what, maybe, maybe I might find out a truth that nobody else has come across. And then I think you start thinking, good Lord, all of this is all one thing. The more you talk about it, the more, because it doesn't seem like it's related at the beginning. You start going, well, this is an episode on some ghosts that people saw over here. This is an episode on something that happened in someone's house. And you sort of find the humor in it and the joy in it. And then suddenly you go, wait a minute that's really that effect is really similar to this and then that's when you start going well what on earth could unify all of these things and that's when you start going to it's a physics we don't understand it's a parallel universe thing or it's a simulated universe what else could it possibly be (laughs) well i'm interesting you use the word 
you know, don't understand. Because that's the other thing that keeps going through my head. We seem to have this need to understand it, right? We've all got that drive. Me and you have got that drive to kind of know and understand it. Yes. Because it, there is so much that's confusing. And like a lot of the stories that we've covered today, facts that you think are true are not true and things that you think are reality are not reality. And you need to make sense of that. But if we are in a game, let's say, that's a kind of fool's errand because we're never going to get to that solution games don't work that way right no <laughs> no that's right and that is the frustrating thing is is what could possibly be the end point beyond more confusion and yeah. uh, and it feels like every time we talk about something every time i read a book and i'm i'm knee deep in a book i'm gonna talk about in a very near upcoming episode which draws a couple of these things together the more you read the case stories and the people involved you just think well here's another piece of the puzzle it's like building a huge jigsaw puzzle but you have no idea what the picture is and you have less of an idea about how many pieces there are and you can collect as many pieces as you like and start forming little pictures. But every time you add another piece, you go, oh, no, that wasn't actually a Labrador running through a field. It turns out it was a tank, you know, or, you know, it's as, <laughs> it's as nuts as that, that yeah. it changes and it changes and it changes. And it's that sort of, is that eternal hope that you'll find that missing link that puts all of this into context. You go, oh, I can see how it all might fit together. But at the moment, I have gone way back from that. I thought, genuinely, when we started this, like I said, I thought it was ghosts, UFOs, um, and some other stuff. And now I'm like, no, no, no. <laughs> there is way more to it than all of this. Yeah, more going on. And, and, and the more you get into it, the more you sort of have to laugh about it. Because if you didn't laugh about it, you'd probably go <laughs> insane. You'd go mad. Well, I was thinking we won't use that strap line for our um for our marketing campaign with a paranormal co- podcast that gets further from the truth <laughs> <laughs> well but it's, it's schrodinger's truth right? yeah, it's schrodinger's truth the closer yeah, yeah. you get the further away you are yeah yeah definitely just this afternoon i was re-listening to the dad Aykroyd's podcast with joe rogan and dad Aykroyd, we know is embedded in all of this stuff and he reminded me that he had his paranormal show on a major network and um he had a visit from men in black and it was shut down and like joe treats him with like you know obvious respect and and kind of um like goodness you know what happened uh but it is that sense of sincerity from uh him that he's like yeah it really did happen and i've spoken before like another podcaster that i'm um really keen on he has spoken about him doing his radio show and being visited by men in black and it feels like there's a certain point where this phenomenon looks back at you so hard that it manifests in the real world i'm Mm. genuinely genuinely expecting to see something in my own life happen you've you've said you've seen you've had a few major super coincidences and maybe that's just 
Maybe yeah. that's this phenomena kind of giving you a nudge. Look, yeah, that, that looking back. But it's interesting what you're talking about with the men in black, because that's the other thing that from the episode that we did on the men in black and other discussions that we've had, I think I'd said to you during that episode, I scratched my head to go, well, what, what, what do you mean they're not quite human? It doesn't make any sense. And we debated whether they were robots. And But in this discussion, it does make sense, right? That Because it is this kind of weird shit that's going on. It does make sense that they wouldn't be human. But that doesn't mean they're aliens. It just means that, you know, maybe we're tapping into something that we can't comprehend or... Yeah. you know identify or that that thing that ruth roper world talks about about projecting an image that we can understand but again ties in with that's what it would be like in a parallel universe if you can't make sense of what you're seeing yes. i often think of this of you know animals and you know i had a debate with someone a few months ago about you know what are colors <laughs> mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. what is red because actually red, you know what I mean? Those things are, you know, different species. You've got completely different uh, perceptions of what those things are. Or the other one that uh, was a very sad story I heard on the radio a few years ago, which really sat with me, about a man who went blind late in his life. Uh, It's not a paranormal thing, but they asked him what, what was the saddest thing about going blind, and he said... The saddest thing was about two years after he went blind, he couldn't picture or remember what his wife looked like. Oh. Which is very sad, but it, but do you know what I mean? It's like it shows how fragile your reality is and your perception and your mind. Do you know what I mean? Yes. Yeah. Oh, yeah. That somebody he deeply loved and had spent many 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 years with looking at their face every day you know he goes blind and within a couple of years he has no perception comprehension or you know realistic recollection of what they look like yes yes shows how fragile it all is and and also it like i think you also make a good point about how peculiar it is that the world that we see we consider to be our the true reality the only reality like there's something that i read when i was about eight years old there was there's an old um it's a channel four series called the secret life of the house and they brought out a book and um my parents had it and it it was absolutely brilliant. It was like it took you through hour by hour everything that happens in the house and all the stuff that you don't see. And the thing that really struck me is um it's it's a it's a obviously it's a fictional house and it's like half past eight in the morning, the people in the house go in and feed their goldfish. Second mention of goldfish in this uh, episode. But they go in and feed their goldfish and they're um they're barefoot. And that's important because the they leave impressions on the carpet with the heat from their feet that that fish can see for about an hour and a half. Wow. So, wow. so in that Brilliant. fish's eyes, he's looking out of his tank, he can see the footprints of his owners or her owners for an hour and a half. 
and yet we would have literally no idea about that and the other the other striking part about that is even if you were wearing slippers and weren't wearing bare feet the heat created between the friction on the carpet and the slippers would also create infrared heat that it would be able to see for a considerable amount of time and so we've got these animals that live all around us that are seeing a completely different reality yeah yeah and and that just like it makes me think like what the reality that we're seeing we are clearly not experiencing the full gamut of it and so whether it is something to do with a computer simulation whether it is we're manifesting our reality or whether it is because we're trapped inside some kind of really confining ancient monkey brain head skull device it's gonna be really hard to know yeah yeah I think that's a really good summary. But I, I, I'm with you. It's, it's, I think what's interesting, and it's, it's interesting how the episodes are almost coming together organically now, you know, with this theme that, that, that we're developing. Because I, I was thinking, oh, this is the kind of episode I like to do. Probably when we started, we'd probably go, oh, no, we, the truth thing, it doesn't make any, we won't do that. Or, We'll make sure that everyone knows it's nothing to do with the paranormal. It's just a, some strange facts. But it's amazing how all these things, like you say, are coming together. They're coalescing into something. I'm not saying we've got anywhere close to what it is, but somehow organically these things seem to be coming together. Yeah. In my mind. Yeah, no, totally. Uh completely unlike what we said a few episodes ago which was have we solved ghosts no no we haven't no but no no we've just raised more questions about we've just ghosts. raised more questions <laughs> yes with a paranormal podcast that gets you further from the truth <laughs> <laughs> but i think the further like it's a bit like you can't see the wood for the trees maybe we're helping maybe we're talking about seeing the wood um. <laughs> ra- ha- oh my god oh i wondered where this was going <laughs> i was going to say we're looking at the wood rather than the trees that doesn't really work does it well you know what i mean <laughs> we're looking at the foliage rather than the facts <laughs> <laughs> number three the larch <laughs> on that note um well well i i, I don't know where it leaves us but we're having fun on the journey and as Stephen King says that's the most important thing that is the most important thing uh next time I'm going to talk to you about a connection between UFOs and another phenomena um I've been reading a great book and um we can continue this discussion into that episode I think excellent all right we'll make sure you uh come and check that out next week uh or whenever you're listening to it it will be the next one just press play And we'll see you next time on The Quantum Mechanics. Like and subscribe. See you next time. Bye. Are you The Quantum Mechanics?